This is exciting times for a buyer. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Heidi Edo. Heidi, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks, Todd. And uh, Heidi is with Michael Commercial. And Heidi, I wanted to bring you on because I wanted to talk about kind of what's going on in the market. Of course, you're based in Minnesota, you guys. Michael Commercial, for those of you who are listening, you don't know. Michael Commercial is more of a, a boutique firm. It's not your big like CBRE that's all over the entire country. But they, Michael Commercial is a big main player in the Twin Cities market, kind of outstate too a little bit and a little bit maybe in Wisconsin and some of the, the uh, surrounding states. But uh, that's kind of where you guys are based. Get, break break it down, Michael Commercial. Tell me a little bit, tell the, the audience, I guess, a little bit more of, of uh, your background. You've been on the show, but your background and Michael Commercial. Yeah, so boutique firm here based in the Twin Cities, uh, but you're totally right. We do about you know 90% of our work here in the Twin Cities, but then in greater Minnesota, we are the largest multifamily player of million dollar plus in greater Minnesota. Hmm. We do dabble in the other states. We're licensed in all their surrounding states in Minnesota, but focus on the Twin Cities, focus on Minnesota. Um, like you mentioned, boutique firms specialized in only multifamily. We really like to be the expert in our field and we are. And um, yeah, been in business for 40 years, uh, not myself. But yep. the firm, my dad's actually the president. So uh, that's a great connection, of course. Yeah, love it. Um, and yeah, you guys are, I, I have really grown, Michael Commercial. I mean, when I kind of was first starting to even look into multifamily, Michael Commercial was certainly there and you guys were a big, uh, kind of a player in the market. But I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm maybe just, just wrong, but I, I, I would say- the most of the listings were, you know, under a hundred units probably. Yeah. Uh, and now you guys are seeing a lot of deals that are bigger deals. Uh, you still have those under a hundred unit uh, listings, but you, you are now listing a lot of kind of bigger uh, assets and, and have been successful at selling those. Yeah, definitely. Part of that is also our market. The Twin Cities has not been a national place where outside money has wanted to come in here. So um, there were trades going on, but it was very much private money. People would hold for 30 years. Well, now we have a lot more turnover in properties because there's national players involved. And the mar the multifamily you know, market has changed a lot where there's five, seven-year holds. It used to be 20, 30-year right. holds. And um, yeah, you're right. In the last five years, we've uh, improved. I mean, we've done a brand refresh. We've we've just become a lot more active in uh, marketing, honestly, because the guys in our team were doing big deals for a long time, but it was a private market. It became a national market about five plus years ago. And um, we upped our game in that way, just as people do. And it's helped us be really successful. Last year, Four brokers did $418 million of multifamily deals in just Minnesota. Wow. So, I mean, it was a great year for all of us, and it was a great year in the market, too. Um, 
Yeah. And we are actually in this time, we are super busy. Todd, you and I talked beforehand, but as far as bringing properties to market, um, not super busy in listings, but the listings we do have, everyone's in flux right now. In our Twin Cities market, there are actually a ton of properties for sale. Most of them are not moving and not trading. And reason for that is clearly interest rates. Anything that's been brought to market in the last four months, even 10 months, interest rates have changed. So underwriting has changed. And then seller expectations are still pretty high. But we have underwritten 68 deals year to date. That's a ton of deals. That's a ton of sellers that came to us and said, hey, we want you to sell our property. Can you value it for us? And so to your audience, Todd, there's a lot of people that want to sell, recognizing this uncertainty in the market is making it challenging. We are taking an advisor role. If you don't need to sell, you know, there are reasons to sell. If you don't need to sell, like your loan's not coming due, you've owned it for 30 years, you can own it for two more. Those kind of reasons, we're really advising, you know, let's let's check back every three, six, 12 months, let's revalue as your trailing 12 months improves every couple of months. Let's revalue, let's readjust. But we have been underwriting all year long, which really is another reason we are actually, we hired a new broker starting in January. And uh, the reason for that is our pipeline is packed. Hmm. And I think that's also something interesting to note for people that are listening who aren't just in the Twin Cities. This is not just a Twin Cities phenomena. This is a, a national phenomena. An active broker in your market has likely a huge pipeline. And right now I have eight deals that I've been valuing just this week. And so that's a huge pipeline. And so, you know, Todd, as a broke, as, as a buyer, this is exciting times for a buyer because a, a client I'm working with right now made a comment saying, this is a buyer's market now. A buyer does not feel that. They do not think this is a buyer's market yet, but every deal that comes down, every comp that is now proving the new market benchmarks, it is shifting. Yeah. And um, I want to touch on you in this conversation, you shared with me, you want to touch on rent growth and wage growth. We can touch on that now or uh, later, but uh, those are major positives to multifamily and to our market. Yeah. I want to just kind of talk, be uh, pick on some of the, some of the stuff you've said. I mean, we're, we're talking mainly twin cities, but like you already mentioned, this is happening kind of everywhere or most markets across the country. And quite, quite frankly, actually the Twin Cities, you know, it's Midwest, it's more stable. You're not seeing some of the factors that you're seeing in other markets like the, uh, you know, Phoenix and Austin and Atlanta, where you're seeing massive amounts of building and rents going down uh, drastically. And, um, but, you know, you mentioned 68 deals underwritten and this, you guys are one of the the brokers in the market. So it's not that there's only been 68 deals throughout all of the brokerage firms that are underwriting these deals. The Twin Cities is a market that just doesn't sell a lot of apartment buildings. The, even though it's become more of a national market, as you mentioned, it still is one of those markets where people just don't sell their properties. So there's a, not a ton of trades happening. And I think 
um, you know, fairly active year just a couple of years ago, might've been a 2019 number. So now it's aged quite a bit, but I believe it, uh, if it's, if, you know, my memory serves me right. There was, I think it was like 21 properties that sold that year that were over a hundred units and that's it. Right. So 68 deals underwritten is a lot of deals that you're looking at. Um, before we dive into the rents, I want to talk just about like who the actual sellers are that you're, that you're transacting with. Is it, is it people that are desperate that need to get out? Are you seeing that yet? Uh, is it, um, the, the guy, gal retiring a state sale, uh, we've got a big, you know, changing demographic, obviously an aging demographic that owns probably a lot of the inventory, especially in like a market, like the twin cities, I would think. Uh, so who, who are your sellers that are actually saying, Hey, like, I'm just, I'm going to sell no matter what. Yeah. Great question. So let me just kind of give an overview, uh, retirement. Yes. What you're saying is true. Baby boomers are moving their wealth to the younger generations. That's been a trend that's, oh, you know, everyone's been talking about it's going to yep. happen, happening in our market right now and other markets. Um, so baby boomers retiring. Uh, to note on the retirement piece, there has been a real challenge that has happened post-COVID. Residents are um, more vocal in uh, how properties are managed and what they want. So some of these ma and pa owners that have done this for 30 years, the last five years have been the worst part of their career. Mm. And they're retiring. And not- they're at the age where they don't want to make those changes either. Yes. They don't want to make the changes. They don't want to deal with the headaches of the management. Yeah. yeah. And um, and then also, you know, the operations of the properties, uh, the expenses have gone through the roof. So mm. Um, it's just become challenging. The last five years have been a real challenge. So retirement, um, and then we get in some negative ones and then we'll get to some positive ones too, but retirement, divorce, death, distress. When I say distress now, I'm talking about people who bought properties in the last three years, really high leveraged loans. They were banking on appreciation and rent growth. And some of these neighborhoods, Minneapolis, St. Paul, we've had rent control be in St. Paul. Well, that killed your pro forma. Um, Rent control where you can't raise rents past a certain amount. And then in Minneapolis, we have had negative rent growth in some neighborhoods, not for the reasons that the South uh, East has had, but um, just because people are moving to the suburbs and there's perceived and... uh, sometimes in some neighborhoods, true increase in crime. And the safety is a concern in some neighborhoods of Minneapolis. Minneapolis is a dynamic city. It's going to come back. But right now, there are some struggles in some neighborhoods. And yeah, I think um, that's no secret. It's kind of been on the national news. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And um, so for those reasons, uh, those some of those people who bought when, for example, uptown in the twins yeah. in Minneapolis, oh, yeah. uptown is experiencing high vacancy, negative rent growth, yep. uh, crime on the streets. Li- there's limited people walking around, so there's just more ability for things to happen there. And um, those renters finishing their leases, they're out of there. They just are. Yep. So they've got 10% vacancy across the board. People, if they're honest, probably higher. And every resident, they're just trying to keep them. They're not even trying to 
get new ones and get rent growth. No, they're just trying to keep hold on or just get someone in there. So That's probably a great example of a sub market that you could probably place a bet on um, yeah. that with time, that sub market likely will bounce back. You can't guarantee anything, of course. But I think that's a submarket you could place a bet on and said, hey, this, it's going to bounce back. This has been a nice area. It's, it will become better again, and it might take three to five years. But if you budget for that and you understand that and you get the right deal, especially from a seller that's just like, I'm just done. Like, I can't yeah. deal with this anymore. That could be a perfect, that's a perfect example of, of the type of deals you want, right? Yeah. And uh, Todd, did you see that Widener out of Washington made a huge investment into Uptown and then also into our uh, CBD yes. business districts? Well, they're yes. a good example. They often pay cash or very low. They uh, are highly, they're lowly leveraged, like 50% LTV, something like that. So they're really coming in with a lot of equity. Their cash on cash is super low, but they don't sell for 10, 20 plus years. I think you're right. I think it's a great bet. And I think it's a great uh, indicator that Minneapolis, that's the Twin Cities heart. Yep. And it's going to come back five years, hopefully 10 years. I think, yes. I think for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you seen um, receivership bank owned that type of uh, salary yet? Not yet um i think people are getting in front of that a little bit i yep. we've under in deals that that's coming in the next 12 months something kind of interesting to note that i've that i've shared with other people is if you're in that position where your loan is coming due there is a time like if your loan is coming due in 6 to 12 months some lenders are willing to blend your rate and extend your time period and i've recommended that to other people just trying to get us a little bit out of uncertainty you know, there's a hope that we could get a better price, but really the uncertainty is, um, you know, the, the issue. And so there's a, my recommendation is always try to work with your lender to blend your rate, extend it. So if you had a 2% rate, now you're at seven and a half, try to get in the middle there and extend it for 12 months. But um, I know that there are distressed sales coming to market. We haven't um, brought those to market yet. But uh, they're coming because people are in that way. It, that's just the way the market is going to, you know, we've seen it nationally. Some big things in Texas happened. It's going to happen. That's how lenders, you know, that's how people were underwriting deals super aggressively. The market changed with the most dramatic change since, I mean, this is the interest rates are even more dramatic than anything that has happened in the last 40 years, you know, yeah. since 1980. So yeah. Even yeah. that is even even faster change than what happened, you know, way back then. So yeah, it's it's a definitely a different market. I don't think many people uh, predicted it. You know, you had major. It's these lenders aren't stupid. They have the smartest people uh, working for them, and they were doing deals. And these institutional buyers have very smart people, and they were doing deals. So it's not for the lack of brains that people were buying opportunities it's that things changed literally the rug was swept from people's feet uh it's that black swan event that you talk about but we're in it right we're in it it's it's yeah. there's no hiding it say so out of these deals that you've underwritten most of them haven't 
hit the market. The ones that have, most of them haven't sold. The ones that sold, great, that's awesome. But what about these ones that aren't being listed, haven't sold? Is there a common theme? Is there a common reason? Uh, I mean, you've mentioned several things, but is there a common theme and reason why they're not selling? Pricing and seller expectations. Seller expectations are... So sellers, is it many times that sellers just don't care right now or they just, maybe they, is it that they can't sell because they're, they would lose money or is it that they're just like, yeah, whatever. If I can't get 20 million, I'm, I'm not going to sell it. Yeah. The latter. Some people in a, in a distress situation, they got to go, they got to sell. And we've seen some, we haven't really seen a ton of that right now, but it's coming. And but for most people, it's just like, nope, my pricing, I wanted this, it's this. And they see the you know perceived loss of value, potential loss of what they could have got a couple of years ago. And now if you can get now, well, that's a difference of $5 million on a 200 unit deal. Well, that's significant. Now, the hope is that you can get back to that. I think interest rates are not going to go to 3%. I hope they stabilize around five-ish, you know? Um, eventually, but that's not today. And the Fed has indicated higher for longer. I was taking, I was more hopeful 12 months ago. I, I think that there, you know, I think there's a lot of factors. I'm hopeful that it's going to stabilize, but I think higher for longer is, is accurate. We're probably looking at what we're, what we're seeing right now for six to 12 months, these interest rates. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree. Of course, what's probably accurate is that we're going to be wrong. You know, (laughs) I remember back in 2000, you know, whatever, nine people are like, Oh, interest rates have gone down so drastically. They're going to go back up, Uh, you know, and then 2011 uh, interest rates are lower and they're like, this, this can't stay sustained. They're going to go back up. And then all of a sudden 20, you know, 14 and 2016 and 2018 and 2020, it's like, wait a second. Now everybody's been telling us for so long that they're going to go up, but they didn't until they finally did. And now everybody's got an expert opinion on where they're going, but I don't, I think that's the biggest maybe scariest thing for most people is they don't know where they're going and they're literally moving so quickly right now that it's like, okay, are they going to stay high? Are they going to get lower? Do I lock in debt right now? How, what kind of debt do I lock in? I know when we analyze a deal, we're like, well, we would prefer to lock in long-term fixed rate debt. But at the same time, is that really the smartest move? Because if you lock in long-term fixed rate debt, and interest rates do go down to 5%, you're like, crap, now I'm stuck in this stupid loan and it's big penalties to get out of it. And it's just like, ah. so it's it's really challenging. But at the same time, if you don't lock that in, you what happens if interest rates go up, right? So somebody, for instance, we bought a property in uh, 2023 and we had this same conversation of, well, do we lock in fixed rate long-term? Do we lock in uh, shorter term? with a rate cap and knowing that rates are probably going to go down. Well, we locked in the fixed rate um, 5.6%, I think somewhere around there. Well, man, that would be an amazing loan right now. Like you'd be so thankful for that type of interest rate. You can't get it. So it quickly changed. That's just a matter of a few months quickly, how quickly it can change. Um, And that really is probably I mean, that's a big disruption, right? To your business. Oh, totally. Yeah. To anyone in the 
unless you're just holding properties right now, if you're an active player in the market, buyer, seller, broker, lender, developer, your whole, it's all disrupted. Yeah. Heidi, look, we're active buyers. We want to buy right now. Um, what advice would you give us and anybody listening to as a buyer, as an active buyer? Like, wh- how do we, I mean, wh- what what do we do? What do we, what do we, do we just wait? Do we like, what's your advice when you're talking to buyers? Yeah. Good question. And Todd, I think you may have said this at one of your events or someone on your team, but um, if you're active, you're always underwriting when the market is hot, when the market is not, you're always underwriting and analyzing deals. I think that um, there is one thing that I would add that I wouldn't have needed to add last year. I would, if you see a deal that you're interested in, call the broker and ask why the seller is selling. And if the broker is not straight with you, sniff around. If they're an opportunistic seller that's just wanting to see where the market is at, figure that out. Because if you if your time is valuable, which it is, I there are some properties in our market that we underwrote and an opportunistic, uh, another person won the deal on opportunistic pricing. Well, that property did not trade. And uh, that sellers frustrated because the pricing didn't, wasn't met. The buyers spent some time on it, made offers, did the whole thing. And then they decided not to sell. Well, that's, you know, that pricing was opportunistic in a market that is no longer really opportunistic pricing. So first that's something new that I would say, call the broker, figure out why the seller is selling, because uh, if they're just wanting to see what the market can bear, the the broker knows what the market can bear and they know if that pricing is real or not. Yeah. And we don't want to waste your time there. So that would be a new thing that I would add, but then also underwrite the deals based on the criteria that you're comfortable with. And every firm has different criteria, whether it's cash on cash, 10 year IRR levered or, you know, cash, whatever. Um, and then also you need to get a quote from your preferred lender day one of underwriting hmm. because what you thought, you know, when we've gone to market, then when when we go to market, most of the people that are interested right now are still active players. So they do know where rates are. They're checking the 10-year daily. They're talking to yeah. uh, mortgage brokers regularly. Those types of people know where the market is at, know what they can get. What you can get, Todd, is much different than what someone that buys uh, $2 million properties can get in a rate. You can get a stronger one because you have um, longer history. You've got more properties that are under your management and ownership. So your rate is different than the next person. And the next person is kind of hearing rates online. Anyway, get your rate based yeah. on what you can do. And then underwrite the deal based on what you, your underwriting criteria is. And then make an offer because there are less buyers in the market right now. The people who are sitting on their hands, they're gonna miss deals. The market is down, there's no question. In the Twin Cities, it was 20 to 30%. We're definitely 30% down. There's no question anymore if it's 20 or 30, it's 30. And anyone who's telling you something else, they're trying to sell you. And I'm trying to sell you too. So, (laughs) I mean, you know, it's just to know that this is where the market is at. And this is the Twin Cities. Uh, this is a stable market. So if you're in another market that's really unstable, whether it's, you know, uh, 
I won't say I won't name out markets in a negative way, but other places that have had huge 20% rent growth, well, now they're having not that rent growth. Right. Um, their values are mo likely more than 30% down. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting times. Um, I think it's really important what you just said. Like, if you're an active buyer, you value your time, just talk to the broker. Is yeah. this seller... Is this seller committed to selling? Like that's that's a that's a question that you can ask any broker. Is this seller committed to selling at whatever price the market bears out? Yeah. And if the answer is well, you know, they need to get you know their price, then it might not be worth underwriting, or, or at least taking a very deep underwriting look at it. Right. So especially if you know they listed it or had had listed it a year prior and it was maybe it didn't sell at that point in time for 20 million and now they they still want 20 million well sorry it's just not going to it's just not going to happen today so i think if that seller is committed to selling at whatever price the market bears out then yeah underwrite that deal but we've we've looked at some deals um and i i'm thinking of one in particular and it was the seller just was fishing and it's frustrating when you go in and you're like, you know, look, this is what it's worth. Like we, we can show you right here. And it's like, well, no, they need to get this price. And then four months later, they're still showing you this deal. And it's like, <laughs> there's no reality here, guys. Well, why, yeah. We're not going to look at this deal again because the seller is just trying to fish and get somehow get some sucker to buy their deal. Like, that's just not worth your time. So um, let's talk about rents. What 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 is happening in you know Twin Cities and maybe outstate market? What's what's happening with rents overall and what are you seeing that's maybe strong and, and weak? I mean, you've mentioned a little bit of it, but yeah. Yeah. So just to get the two places that aren't having rent growth out of the way, St. Paul, because they put a cap on it on rent growth and rent control. Yep. Minneapolis, some areas like Uptown having negative rent growth, um, some other neighborhoods too, but Uptown is particular. Now the North Loop in Minneapolis having tremendous rent growth. So mm. very dynamic markets, very dynamic cities, just like a lot of metropolitan MSAs across the country. But let's just take those two out of the conversation for now, focusing on the suburbs um, of the Twin Cities. Uh, we are having, what's the stat? 5.4% rent growth in the suburbs. And that is uh, of the people that are raising rents. Now, a lot of these mon pas, so we're, Twin Cities is mostly a private market. I yep. think we're 80 plus percent private. Yeah. These family ownerships, they don't raise rents really. They don't even raise 3% sometimes. They might raise $20. Well, $20 on $1,000 is not equatable to even to inflation. So um, the, the those rents are really, really low. And to kind of use an example of this, so we sold a property in a, in a suburb, Champlain, that has, has had limited new development. And we sold a property, we underwrote a value-add deal for 200 to $300 in that market with a post-value-add that client has been able to raise all of the rents post value add $400 plus. And most of the residents moved from an unrenovated unit to a renovated unit that was $400 more a month. 
no question. Yeah, which shows and, you how strong that case is, right? Because they they know they're where else are they going to go, right? If they, they're seeing it, they're they're looking. I guarantee those residents didn't just roll over. They looked around. They went, huh? Where else are we going to go? Like exactly, and that's a great case. So the rent growth that's being you know, when you get these stats, this is only the major properties that are that are showcasing the stats. And I would argue that um, we've had an influx of development, which is a good thing in the Twin Cities suburbs. We had 13,000 units come online in the Twin Cities this year. Most of it's in the suburbs, about 50% or there's uh, like double the development in the suburbs. And so that's a lot of units going online. And because of that, there has been uh, more concessions given, especially to new developments and the competition for new developments. And then um, the rent growth has been stagnated a bit just because there's a ton more units online, simple supply and demand. Yep. Well, next year we have uh, half of that, five, 6,000 units coming online. And so all of a sudden, all of these new deliveries get absorbed into the market. There is a lot less competition for new deliveries. That co less competition is not just next year. It's the following year with interest rates so high. It's just burdensome to build new, yeah. new market rate properties. And so with all of that in mind, we're going to actually, I think we're going to see much higher than five and a half percent rent growth once all of this gets absorbed. Yeah. Yeah. So we might have a little bit of a lag here. Maybe it's six months uh, or so, but you have a little bit of a lag and then it picks right back up. And I, I would, I would tend to agree with you. And, and so I think what you've just mentioned here, what we just talked about is really important for anybody to listen to understand. You talked about two markets, St. Paul and Minneapolis that are seeing declining rents or very little rent growth, maybe some sub markets. And, and even that is, is, to my point, like some submarkets are growing, but the suburbs are growing. And my guess is all suburbs aren't the exact same. I'm sure we could take Woodbury and all the you know, Edina and, and they're all different, right? It's really important if you are a buyer to understand where you're buying. And so just because you go, oh, look at the Twin Cities, rent growth there is 1%. Ah, that's, I don't know, whatever. And well, wait a second though. You took the entire market and just made an assumption on that entire market. You didn't look at what is actually happening and going on there. And then you didn't take into consideration the deliveries currently and the deliveries in the future and what is truly happening overall in those markets and submarkets. Where do people want to be? What the real rent growth is. So dive deeper. Don't just look at these. I hate state statistics like people are like what's the best state for for rent growth who cares like i don't care what the best state is for rent growth what's that have to do with anything like that's just like saying what what's the rent growth in the country i don't care i'm not yeah. investing in the country right mm -hmm. i'm investing in a specific submarket in my in that you know, location. Uh, it, it's got its own statistics. I think that's super important. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Todd, just kind of, uh, I've been thinking about your team in Duras and then uh, Minnesota, and I know your team has gone outside for other reasons besides just not having a ton of deal flow here. But something to note, just like you said about rent growth, some of those other markets, let's just use Columbus, they're, they're really expanding and growing in a big way. 
and money is flooding there. And so now your buyer pool is way more competitive. Now, Minnesota, our buyer pool has declined. And so you're able to win deals that you might be getting the same amount of returns on in other markets, just because your buyer, your competition is also chasing those deals and they're drawing up the price there. Yeah. And so I'm not trying to uh, poo-poo any other markets. I'm just saying that a market like the Twin Cities, where you have less competition, um, is where is another great place to invest because there's less people bidding up deals. Yeah, and obviously, there's as a seller, it's great when you've got a lot of people bidding up deals. But as a buyer, if you're looking for opportunity, um, that's a fantastic thing. Less competition, the better. Um, as speaking of buyer, and we talked about the 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 broker, let's talk about quickly like what does a buyer need to do today in today's market to get a deal um under contract? Yeah, definitely talk to your mortgage broker, figure out what your rate is. But uh so we kind of talked about those mechanics, uh, you know, the the science of the deal, but let's talk about kind of the art of the deal. And um Something that um, a buyer can do is, so most of the deals that a seller is truly selling, they are on market with a broker. So get to know your local brokers. Here in the Twin Cities, there's, I'm just going to say five, maybe six, you could say, major brokerages that really control um, the 50 plus units for sale here. Yep. And they're not putting you in their car to drive you to other brokers deals, just so you know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So when a broker, so for example, um, in when you, when there's a deal, whoever the broker is, if you like a deal with me or or another person, if you're wanting to buy that deal, call them or email them, ask them about who the seller is. And um, if it fits your underwriting tour and offer, because you don't know who you're going up against. You don't know if you're competition is really aggressive or really conservative in the underwriting and your metrics might be different than the next buyer's metrics. You don't know, you might win that deal. Um, There are some institutional deals that have recently traded here right now. Institutions are selling for liquidity. They're wanting to get out of some places, locations, properties that aren't aren't performing as well. And they're wanting to take that money and they're wanting to buy because they're seeing this is an opportunity to buy. So they're selling to be liquid. They're selling what based on what the market's going to do. They're a huge fund. They're just doing what they do. So some of those um, properties offer, once again, you don't know where you're, where you're going to land. You might win. And uh, another thing about offering on properties with realistic, uh, like offer on properties that you can actually execute, not just make offers, of course. Right, right, right. But um, that broke what, what about making the quote unquote lowball offer. And I'm not saying just a lowball offer just to throw something that's ridiculous, right? It, it, but we underwrite a deal. We go, this is where we need to buy it at. We just do. Like this is, for us, it's 16 million, but the whisper price is 19 million or something like that. Like that's a kind of a lowball offer. Would you just say pass on that deal? Or is now, because I would have said, uh, you know, two years ago, don't even don't even waste your time on that deal. But is it something that you would waste your time on now or still kind of pass on something like that? Call your broker, figure out what the seller, why the, if the seller is a real seller in this market, a market seller, that's kind of our term right now. 
a market seller is selling in the market, no matter what the market bears. And um, so call the broker, ask the broker if it would be valuable to submit your offer. The broker controls the deal. They know what's going on in the marketplace. They know their seller too. And to just keep your relationship strong with your broker, who's likely going to also get you other deals, whether it's this one or the next one, call them, ask for a seller, What, why the seller is selling. Are they a market seller? If that's been established, great. Say, I'm coming in at 16. I recognize your your pricing is 19. Is this something that uh, we should offer on? Can I get your take on that? And the broker may say, you know, your underwriting is meeting other similar buyers. I would offer this market is the market. This seller is a market seller, or they're going to say, you know, that might not be an offer. The, the seller is not interested in that offer. Please don't offer this time. If the seller changes the, the mark, the broker can tell you that's kind of yeah. the a strong broker, which if you're dealing with a major property, the broker you're dealing with is likely strong or the broker team and um, ask them. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. What else? Um, I'm sure you pulled up some other statistics or maybe talking points you really want to hit on it. We, uh, you know, I do want to be respectful of your time, but anything else that you think is, is valuable for our listeners to know? Yes. So, um, the other thing too is in markets like the Twin Cities, we talked about rent growth and we talked about wage growth, but then there's also expense growth. Yeah. And um, one other thing that I'm suggesting to sellers, so I'm now kind of focusing on a seller, but then it's also an opportunity for a buyer. Uh, the taxes in everywhere, but especially in Minnesota, they're pretty high. And right now when I'm underwriting a deal in St. Paul, nine out of 10 times their tax assessed value is more than the value that the market would bear for their property. And so I've gotten a lot of people in touch with um, real estate attorneys who can fight that for you. And um, I'm talking, usually they're paying 20,000 more a month than they should because their, ass their assessed value is so inflated. And so for a seller, if you have a little bit of time before you're planning to sell, I would fight those taxes. 20,000 added to your NOI, capitalize that or whatever you want. It's huge. Yeah. And unfortunately, you do have to likely go through an attorney. Assessors are not easily reassessing properties for less. That's not good for a city, but that is where the market is at. Um, on the but flip Paying the attorney will pay for itself so quickly if you have a case and the attorney's not going to mess around if you've got no justification right. to, so they'll, they'll give you at least a good one. It's going to give you advice like, Hey, this isn't worth it. Or this is, we just, we just did this to a bunch of our properties and we got huge tax reductions in some cases, some not so much, but I mean, we got some nice reductions, so it's definitely worth it. Yes. And a broker, we're actually underwriting a reduction in the buyer's future taxes because the moment a property sells, you don't even have to get an attorney involved. There's no argument. The property sold for this. It should be assessed at this. Yep. And so that is really benefiting buyers in a lot of ways if they're willing to look at that. Now, lenders are not as open to that all the time, but that is a true case. You buy a property at a price, the assessed value meets that price. You don't overassess it if you just bought it. So um, I would check your taxes. That's a huge expense increase that you really, like two years ago, you can't fight the tax man. Today, yeah. you can fight the tax man. Yeah. And, you, and make sure you do because they're yeah. 
I guarantee the county's not going to do it for you. Oh, they are not. <laughs> they are not for yeah. sure. The um, other big one we've had um, just with insurance is talking with your insurance broker upon renewals and saying, "Hey, what else can we do?" You know, I I would hesitate to drop your coverage down to a lesser coverage unless you've got too much coverage, but um, but you might be able to get some nice quotes and potentially some reductions or at least not quite as big of a, uh, an increase. So we've seen some properties where you're like 15, 20% increase, and then you go get another quote and it's like, oh, okay, now we're only paying 7%. Yeah. Yeah. The other one that I kind of want to touch on that I think is interesting that doesn't get talked about a lot is payroll, which we know has gone up, but two kind of notes about this. So client of ours, um, national client based outside of Minnesota, but active in this market, they have shared that the payroll in the Twin Cities and in Minnesota is way more than other places in the country. And that goes to our wage inflation here. We've got really educated workforce. We've got really, really high paying jobs and people in this community are taxed heavily. They expect a lot and wages is something they expect. And so our payroll is really huge. And I want to kind of share something a little controversial perhaps, but uh, a client of mine has um, is really focused on their operations right now because it's hard to buy a deal and they need to shore up their expenses. Their expenses are getting 60% of the deal. Well, that deal is not cash flowing the way that it used to. Right. And so they've lightened their payroll load in the way of virtual assistance, assisting property managers. And so here's the controversial part is the property manager needs to be someone that is on site it is always better to show a property in person to get that quick lease sign up with an in-person. A virtual tour is great for a first look, but to get yeah. that client to sign that lease, you need a person. Yeah. So that cannot be done virtually. However, answering the phones for maintenance, answering the phones for uh, questions, that can all be outsourced on Upwork to someone like a client of mine uses a uh, eight virtual assistants in the Philippines for less than $10 an hour for each person. Yeah. And so these types of jobs that are really hard to source. So in the Twin Cities, to get someone to just answer the phones, it would be really hard for you to find a person truly. So I'm not you know, trying to promote out getting people outside of our country to do these jobs. I'm just honestly saying it's hard to hire people here and hard for kind of um, a little bit of a lower skill type of job. And so that's something kind of interesting that a client of ours did. He um, restructured and he um, minimized some of his on-site people that were doing a little bit less um, challenging jobs, like answering phones. And he outsourced all of that. He also outsourced all of his scheduling, all of his, um, he will ask his virtual assistants to call eight insurance brokers, get quotes come with a memo on all of them. And then my client will go and engage with a few of the top ones. So he's getting some of the best people to do lawn care at the best rates. So like reliable people at the best rates, and he's not having to spend his time to do it, but he is outsourcing these more menial tasks to someone else who's happy yeah. to do it. I, I love that. And, and I get what, you're saying with the hesitation of it, but 
I, I love it. And I think it's, it's necessary a lot of times. And like you said, like there's, there's just look, answering phones, scheduling, like stuff like that. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to pay somebody $30 an hour to do that. Right. We can go and we can hire somebody else and it frees up other people's time to do more important tasks. There's certain things we can't replace. We can't replace a face-to-face contact. But if somebody's just calling on the phone, quite frankly, and here's the other thing, like if, if you've got virtual assistants and they can, and you've got enough of them, they can answer the phone 24 seven. So yes. it doesn't matter when the phone rings, the office right. is only open from nine to five. Yeah. But if somebody calls and most people do after five, we can yeah. still answer that phone. We can get them scheduled. We can get the showing. Now they can show up and we can actually be successful at closing that deal with the person that's on site. So I think that's, that's huge is finding different ways to cut your expenses. Technology is another way. I mean, we're always trying to fight, figure out is there a better tool out there for us to be able to achieve um, better results and cheaper results. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Anything else that we missed? Um, I, I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff. But. Yeah. Well, I think that covers a lot of things right now. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate it. It's just nice to get a opinion or just kind of what a broker is really seeing in the market. Cause as a buyer, as a seller, you know, we are in a totally different role and you're seeing what's going on with a lot of different operators. You're seeing what's happening real time in the market. Your job is to, as you said, kind of consult between the two, understand the markets, understand, uh, the trends and where things are going and uh, rely on those broker experts. If you're sitting here as a buyer or seller and understand what you need to do to market your property, to make it better, to get it ready for sale and understand uh, the market and what's going on how to stand out as a buyer uh, as well. So Heidi, really appreciate it. Um, And what's the best way for our listeners to reach out to you? Yeah. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm really like the only Heidi Addo out there. So reach out to me on LinkedIn. Love to connect and um, yeah. Appreciate your time. Awesome. Thank you, Heidi. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, Give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.